Hello, and welcome back to the Modern Day Rebels podcast. I'm Julia Frank, and every other week I sit down with a modern day rebel who actively challenges the conventional. I can't believe this will be the last episode of 2020. The podcast will go on a short holiday break, and we will be back on January 7th. In this episode, I sit down with Jolinda Johnson, wellness mentor and priestess, who helps people break free from burnout and start living as the badass they were born to be. There are so many moments from this conversation that really stuck with me and hit quite deep, to be honest. We talk about how we're so used to running on stress that we don't even realize how far we've gone, and in particular this year, I feel like it's truer than ever. The question of who am I when I sit in silence and who am I outside of all the work obligations that I have is something that I really want to investigate over the holiday period. Jolinda and I talk about how we desperately need space to connect and reconnect with each other and ourselves and how it's in that space that we can really tap into the spirit of rebellion. One of the things that Jolinda said so beautifully in this episode is how we're so busy running from who we really are in this attempt to keep up with who we think we really should be. And that really stuck with me because I think it's so difficult nowadays to decipher between what we really want and what our version of health and happiness is versus what we're told that our version of health and happiness should be. So without further ado, here's this incredibly powerful conversation. Well, welcome to Linda. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. To start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Thank you, Julia. I'm so glad to be here. I am a wellness mentor and priestess, and I help my clients break free from burnout and start living as the badasses they were born to be, whole, healthy, and free. I'm so excited to dive into some of those topics. Before we get started, why do you consider yourself a modern day rebel or why might someone else consider you as one? Well, I consider myself a modern day rebel because I am actively engaged in questioning the roles that people expect of me and that have been placed upon me and really defining my life and my legacy for myself as a person of color, as someone who has been conditioned and socialized as a woman and looking at what that means, as someone who no longer wants to participate in systems of oppression, you know, the patriarchy, white supremacism, um, and really looking at what I can do to stop upholding those. And just making choices based on my desire to live life on my own terms, irrespective of what other people have to say about it. Amazing. So take us back. When did you start living life on your own terms? Were you always like that? No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting because I started working with the wild woman archetype several years ago. That's when I was involved in my priestess journey. And it was a 14 month process and my light archetype was the lover and my shadow archetype was the wild woman. And I realized that I had really suppressed any hint of rebellion 
for years until I had reached a point of crisis and I had to say something or I had to do something, but it wasn't something that I welcomed into my life in order to stay safe, in order to give the illusion of perfectionism, you know, constantly striving to be good and do the right thing. And I think that's another part about being a rebel is your willingness to be messy, to make mistakes, to say the wrong thing as you are learning instead of constantly withholding until you think that you have the right to be in the room or the right to enter into the conversation, really owning your experience and not assuming that everyone else has that experience, but feeling comfortable in sharing what you have lived and looking at how that can contribute to a broader narrative and also help other people who, you know, if you are someone who has been marginalized, help other people who are in that same position feel freer to be themselves. And in the process of reconnecting with my wild woman, I realized that there actually is not so much to fear in breaking the rules and why am I following these rules anyway? And the catalyst was really my divorce, which was not an easy decision for me to, to leave a marriage, which I thought, you know, it wasn't working from the beginning. And my intuition told me not to do it in the first place, but leaving the marriage and choosing to be a single mother and starting my own business all within the same year and just consistently having the faith to continue on that path. And as I said, break free of the expectations that had been placed upon me. And in the beginning, it, it is terrifying. <laughs> I, won't, I won't sugarcoat it, but it gets easier. It gets easier. It's, it's just something that you have to stay committed to. And new things come up all the time. What exactly is a priestess? You mentioned you went on this 14-month journey, but what exactly is a priestess? It really depends on who you ask. But for me, when, when you use priestess, it's actually a remembrance of something that you've always been. So it's not something that you become. It's not something that you go through a training and they teach you how to be. I mean, when I started my priestess journey, the first thing that they said to us was, if you have been called here, you already are a priestess. The next 14 months will be the process of reclaiming that. And one of the things, one of the pillars of being a priestess is your commitment to dismantling the patriarchy. And, you know, initially for me, being a priestess was definitely about championing women. And just recently, I realized that actually, no, it's about championing people. And especially, as I mentioned before, marginalized people. So when I first started my business, I identified exclusively as a health coach. And I realized that there was something missing because I, I wasn't inviting spirit into the conversation. I wasn't inviting my intuition. I wasn't using my platform for any issues of social justice. That's another big part of being a priestess is not always saying what's popular, but giving voice to what's right and really analyzing things through this lens of who 
most needs to be brought in to, into the conversation. And there are, there are women who have dominated things in the women's health coaching space, especially that are really giving us this monolithic view of what women's health is. And I realized, you know, in the last couple of years of my business that actually women's health is more than wanting to have a baby. It's more than getting off of birth control. It's more than absolutely loving your womb space. If that's what you're into, fine. But if that's all you're talking about, then you're also ignoring the women who perhaps want to take hormonal birth control because they've made an informed decision and that's their choice. Or the women who have no desire to have children, but they still care about their menstrual cycles because they want to be body literate. Or the women who really don't need to celebrate their period, but they need to know what's happening in their bodies. And that's enough for them. And also the people who have periods and have you know, hormonal issues that don't identify as women, who's talking to them? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's something that the typical health coach will not address. But for me as a priestess, I, I do because that is the work. You know, I always say that the priestess is um, not up on a hill. She's down in the mud. She's dedicated to work that involves getting messy. And you said it's not, it's not easy, right? You said you're not going to sugarcoat it. It comes with a lot of fear. So what kind of helps you or initially helped you get over that? Yeah, you know what? I've been living in these systems. I've been kind of doing the default. I'm going to break free from that. So what was that kind of that point where you were like, okay. I had been miserable for a long time. I couldn't put my finger on why, because I had done everything that we are kind of socialized to, to believe will bring us happiness. I'd gotten married. I'd had a baby. I, you know, had a nice apartment and I had a steady job and, you know, I was a a teacher for 10 years before starting my business as a a wellness mentor. So I thought, why, if I've done all of these things right, why am I so unhappy? And beyond unhappy, just really depressed. And I felt like I had just reached this point where my body as well was constantly in pain. I felt so constricted, you know, like I was constantly trying to fit into like a, the typical example of a square hole and a round peg. And I was that round peg. And, you know, I think for anyone who's like, where do I start? Sometimes it can just be as easy as doing things differently in your day to day. You know, if you're someone who always defers to the other person, for, you know, what do you want for dinner? Well, whatever you want, you know, like see what it feels like to, what do you want for dinner? State your choice and don't worry about what the other person thinks of it. And that sounds like such like, well, that's an easy one, but I never did that. The other person was always my reference. Who do you want me to be? I'll be that. A lot of the work that I've done on myself in these last several years has been, who is Jolinda? And what does she actually care about? 
I think when, you know, the danger, when you are constantly in the online space, you start to develop a persona. And this summer, I, you know, because I was living in virtual reality in isolation and constantly on Zoom or just in front of a camera, I was just like, who is Jolinda in all of this? I know who the persona is, but who is Jolinda and is she still okay? Mm-hmm. And that's something that's happened in the last just couple of months is I realized I can still be okay as myself, separate from my career, separate from being a mother, separate from being a partner that I, as an individual, am worthy. A lot of what you kind of talk about in your work and the way that you describe it is, you know, uh, reclaiming and championing and it really has this whole notion of like coming back to almost like what we haven't we weren't able to express so kind of at the start if people are at the start of the journey or or they have that niggling feeling of like something's not quite right you know I'm unhappy just mention an example there but what are some of the ways to reconnect with yourself or find back to yourself definitely create a physical space This is something that was revolutionary for me. Some people call it an altar. Some people call it a sacred space. But we hear about these practices like, you know, meditation and breathing. But without the physical space where you can go to actually do them, you can always find an excuse not to. And part of getting back to your core is having a physical space and then in that physical space, allowing yourself to simply breathe and be and get comfortable in the silence and that void of not doing anything because so many of us uh, identify with our ourselves as providers, as resources, as the go-to person for this, that, or the other, always tied with some kind of productivity or some kind of action. And so who are you when you're just sitting in silence? That's when your higher self can come in and getting really comfortable with that. And what can actually come through can feel challenging at first because sometimes our higher self, actually a lot of times our higher self has things to say that are not convenient. And that's why so many of us spend a lot of time blocking it out right? You know, it was a lot easier for me to numb myself during my marriage than to take the step to separate. But you reach a point where the numbing is no longer working and you've got to make a decision. Like, am I going to see things clearly and make actions based on that new vision? Or am I just going to keep living life at 50%? But I think that's why it's so important. You know, I, I can't sit here and pretend that I did this all on my own. I did this through consistently investing in mentors and other people who had traversed the journey ahead of me, who could hold space for me, who could validate my choices, you know, because that's also a big one. A lot of us are looking for external validation. And sometimes you just need someone else to say like, oh, right. Yeah, that's, that's a valid choice. You know, if that's what you want to do, like, let's, let's make a plan to do it. So I I do not think this work is meant to be done alone. Yeah. I think what you said around like having someone to kind of hold that space and also 
I think we really underestimate the effect of other people, both positive and negative, of being able to kind of keep you in that cage, really. You know, once you start questioning that of like keeping you in that cage because other people aren't kind of willing to break free or aren't at that point yet, they can kind of keep you in the system because that's what we're what we all know. It's what our comfort zone is in. So with a lot of the work that you do, I really want to dive into kind of burnout and hormones because a lot of what you talk about essentially you opened my eyes to the world of hormones <laughs> and and cycles. I mean, I always knew, you know, we have hormones. I always knew the the stupid metaphor of like, oh, being hormonal. But it was something that I completely underestimated, but also I think just saw as normal. I just saw symptoms like PMS or again, kind of going back to the default, I didn't really question any of it. So when you talk about hormones, why are they so important and why are they so tied to our mental health? Well, hormones are everything. And why are they everything? Well, there's, they're, you know, they're chemical messengers that are constantly circulating throughout our body. They have to do with everything from how clearly we're able to, you know, deliver a sentence <laughs> to our moods, to our weight, to our hair growth, to how dry or oily our skin is. You know, there's just how we digest food. It goes way beyond what we think of as, you know, hormonal leading up to our period, because your hormones are guiding you throughout the day, regardless. And why do I think that they're so important to know about when, when it comes to mental health? Well, one is that I have premenstrual dysphoric disorder, also known as PMDD, which a lot of people, including those in the women's health coaching space, incorrectly refer to as severe PMS, which I take issue with because PMS can be largely reduced, if not eliminated, when we look at the balance between progesterone and estrogen. And we look at stress and we look at endocrine disruptors and xenoestrogens, any kind of, you know, things that will throw those two off balance, inflammation as well. PMDD, not so much. I'm a perfect example of it because I, you know, don't do any of the things that contribute to PMS. And yet I still have PMDD, you know, after 20 years, it's something that you can learn to manage, but it doesn't go away. And it has to do with the relationship between estrogen and serotonin in the brain, as well as progesterone and GABA and also allopregnetolone, but a lot of it genetics, right? So all of that to say that I care so much about hormones because I've been affected by hormones for the last 20 plus years of my life. And I think that when you understand the basics of you know, cortisol, insulin, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, it gives you an incredible power to understanding your body, to making informed decisions, to being your own advocate when you go to the doctor. And, you know, when you think about when you go to a gynecologist, for example, most of us are in a very vulnerable position already when we go to a gynecologist. Yeah, I don't really feel empowered, like spread open. <laughs> no, you know, we're, we're physically exposed and it really helps to know 
to have kind of a basic understanding of what's happening so that when your doctor says, well, I'm just going to write this prescription and like, and so what, is, what exactly is that doing? And what is, what is that for? And what testing have you done to make that decision? And also hormonal imbalance is often at the root of a lot of chronic issues that if we're not looking at the hormones, they're not going to go away. So it really should, I think there are so many ways as well to test your hormones yourself these days that, you know, unfortunately some doctors need you to provide evidence to come into their office and say, actually, I've done this testing independently and this is what it shows. So could we have this discussion again? I would love for every person to have a, a medical professional that wants to dig deep and do the investigating, but you know, that's not usually the, the, the most likely scenario. And it's also, I mean, hormones, it is kind of this like beautiful orchestra of, is just such a domino effect, right? If like one hormone isn't there in the level that you need it to be, the rest is affected. And with that, right, we kind of want everything to work out the way that it's supposed to be. But what actually affects our hormones? Well, stress is a big one. Diet is another, but we have to talk about stress because you're, you know, the foundation is insulin and cortisol when we talk about how hormones all work together. And so if your blood sugar is imbalanced and your stress is chronic, then chances are your estrogen is going to be in excess to your progesterone and your thyroid could be less active than normal. It's kind of a, a chain reaction. And I think that so many of us have gotten so used to this way of living that runs on stress that we don't even realize how far gone we are. And we've also been taught to ignore our body's signals. You know, how many of us have been told we just have to power through it? Mind over matter. And so the thing with burnout is in the first stage, when cortisol is kicking in and, you know, adrenaline, and we feel like we can just do anything. We can stay up later. We can say yes to everything. We can just keep pushing ourselves. And, you know, as long as we have another cup of coffee and, you know, we're fine. And then we get addicted, not only to the hormone, the sensation that gives, gives us, you know, that false sense of energy as our adrenals you know, are on overdrive, but also I'm needed. Mm -hmm. I'm wanted for things. I can say yes, and I can do hard things and I can feel accomplished because I'm doing more than the average person. And then suddenly we're in stage two where we're not sleeping through the night and we're having painful periods. You know, and that's, that's a result of when our cortisol is chronically high, then cortisol and progesterone share the same receptor sites. So, you know, the body's smart and it says, well, if, if you're so stressed out, this isn't the time to have a baby. So we'll dial that down and give priority to the hormone that's responsible for your survival, which is cortisol. And that means that estrogen can come in, in excess because they're proportionate to each other, right? So when you experience painful periods, and heavy periods and 
erratic mood swings, you know, that's another red flag that something is off because when we have enough progesterone leading, you know, going into our period, we actually feel calm and grounded and we don't feel like socializing as much, but you don't feel like you're flying off the handle. And then, you know, but a lot of us are like, oh, that's just part of, that's just part of having a menstrual cycle that week before it is what it is. And we take the painkiller and we just keep going about our regular life. And then stage three, that's when a lot of women are prescribed sleeping pills, antidepressants. And that's when things really, you know, I call it shaky ground when, because your body, you know, it's probably really hard for you to go to bed at night because you drag through the day and then around 10, you feel like you can finally catch up on everything that you didn't have energy to do before, uh, or it's 3 a.m. and you're wide awake. Is that, you know, that's dysregulated cortisol. That's what happens. Your cortisol flips so that you drag through the morning and then you get energy at night. Low libido, which, you know, this is another thing when we talk about libido, like libido actually is an indicator of health. It's been twisted and taken as this, almost this thing that is, has been forced on us. Like if you don't feel like having sex all the time, or if you don't feel sensual and sexual, then something's wrong. But libido and having like being able to get turned on by something, (laughs) maybe it's not your partner, but something is an indicator. Because again, when your body's in survival mode, it's not thinking about sex. It's not thinking about reproduction. And so that can be another red flag. When you look at a houseplant and the person that you love and you get the same reaction from both, like that's an issue. And then stage four is when things really just are systemic at that point. You know, I, another thing that I have, uh, and it's like, how are you a wellness mentor when you have two chronic diseases? But I have ankylosing spondylitis. And when I was diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis uh, 10 years ago, I thought, how is it that I have a disease that white men in their 40s are typically diagnosed with? How did this happen? But it was the result of years of chronic stress, you know, also ignoring my own body symptoms. And, you know, when you read about, burnout among people of color, a lot of times it ends with things like multiple sclerosis, for example, things that are not just you being tired of your job, you know, things that are these chronic conditions that have happened from years of stress and inflammation and constantly trying to do more than we were ever meant to do. And constantly running, running from who we really are in this attempt to keep up with who we think we should be. And it's not something that is, you know, is is an individual choice, right? That's why it's so important to talk about how you fit into these larger systems. Because so often, you know, I didn't even realize I was experiencing burnout because I came from a family where that's just what you did. Mm -hmm. You you just kept going. 
come hell or high water, you just keep going. And it can feel very rebellious to honor your need for rest and to say, actually, I can't. And to look at, am I doing this because I actually have to, or because I need to prove myself and I'm terrified of doing it less than hundred percent. Because for me, a lot of it was always having to do a hundred percent or more, not because other people demanded it of me, but because I was terrified of what would happen if I didn't. And then I realized actually nothing happens. <laughs> it's also quite interesting because as you mentioned, I feel like burnout is seen as a badge of honor at times. I feel like especially in the small business owner space, it's almost like, well, you need to reach burnout to then like kind of prove that you actually really, really wanted it and really meant it. And as you just mentioned, the typical model of burnout is, you know, typically white women, corporate, potentially millennial, but it is kind of more associated with like being in a corporate job, being in the system, quote unquote. So what are some other things that can kind of lead to burnout and kind of can keep, I mean, 2020, I feel like in general has, has brought all of our nervous systems up and running at quite a higher baseline. But what are some other things that can increase that cortisol that can kind of bring our entire systems to constantly be running on overdrive? Well, I mean, I think that the, the way things are set up, we're, we're always on high alert. I mean, that's, that's what it is. We're constantly looking out for new information and our body often interprets that as the latest threat. So what now? What's what's coming through my phone now? What's happening in the news now? You know, and you think we have these 24-hour news cycles and social media and constantly scrolling through and taking in all of this information independent of everything that's happened this year that in itself puts us on alert. But I think what you mentioned about how burnout is often associated with corporate jobs, you know, that that's something that we need to change the conversation around because actually burnout is more likely to happen amongst entrepreneurs who are incredibly passionate about what they're doing. And, you know, it makes sense because when you really want something to work and you are relying on that, if you go full in on your business, you're relying on that to pay your bills. You don't want to put limits on yourself. You know, it's like, I can stay up one more hour. I can skip lunch. It doesn't matter. I can say yes to this client and yes to that client. And regardless of how much time is left for me, because isn't that what's required to build a successful business? To just keep saying yes to everything and give it everything I have. And we're also given this idea that if you're not working at 110% capacity, then you don't care. And I think that that's something that also feels challenging for us. Well, you know, I, I care so much about this. So that's why I'm overextending myself, you know, <laughs> but it's like, well, if you're running your own business and you're a solopreneur, you don't have a team, then who is going to take over when you can't get out of bed? Because that actually happens. We, we think that it's just going to be something we have to deal with, but that we'll get through. But I've actually spoken to women who have pushed themselves to the brink and have woken up not being able to get out of bed and had to be hospitalized because for years they ran on empty. And you know it really is getting back to basics. 
your sleep is a priority. I mean, that's you know, also talking about mental health. When we sleep, that's when the glymphatic system in the brain kicks in and does all of the repair. Sleep is a great time of repair and replenishment in general in the body, but especially in the brain. So if you're not getting the sleep, then you're shortchanging, you know, and they've actually found people who are consistently sleep deprived throughout their lives are at greater risk for, you know, Alzheimer's, for example, because of all of the gifts that sleep gives to our, our brains and putting boundaries around your devices. And that also goes into getting a good night's sleep because we need to start disconnecting 30 minutes minimum, but preferably an hour to support our circadian rhythm so that by 10, we're ready to wind down if not already asleep. You know, and I, I, I also have clients who say, oh, you know, by nine, I'm in bed. I know that's so horrible. And it's like, why? <laughs> if that's what your body is asking you and you can fall asleep at nine, then fall asleep at nine. And I think it's also really interesting to look at how you're spending those last couple of hours of the day. You know, so if you're someone who typically stays up until 12, because in the body, 12 o'clock midnight is when cortisol should be at its lowest. And that's when all of that cellular repair and regeneration kicks in. It can't do that when cortisol is still online, which is another reason why it's really important to be asleep by midnight. If you are, you know, just looking at your phone, for example, for an hour before bed, like what is that actually giving you? What is the, the mindless scrolling actually giving you when it comes to your health and happiness? And so many of us are, are just so addicted to answering right away. You know, like you mm -hmm. get an alert on your phone, I've got to answer right away. And I'm, I deal with a lot of different time zones as well, because I have clients in the States and Australia and New Zealand and Europe. So there's always someone to talk to. <laughs> There's always someone that's, that's, you know, reaching out and you have to say like, what's the priority here? Because nothing's going to run if I'm not running. And those of us who are mothers, children also need to know that you need time for yourself. I had a really hard time making myself a priority above my son because I never saw that modeled. <laughs> my mother was always putting me first, way above her own needs. And so when I didn't do that, I felt like a bad mother. But that has to be changed as well because you can only be available for your children as much as you're willing to be available for yourself. So some of the basics, sleep, pulling away from your devices, and nourishing yourself. So nourishing yourself with food, but also pleasure. You know, what can you, what activity can you engage in just for fun? You know, one of the hormones that tends to take a beating is DHEA because it's another one when cortisol goes up, DHEA goes down. But DHEA is helped a lot by engaging in fun and pleasurable activities that I think a lot of us will put on the back burner in the name of work. Mm -hmm. But where is, where is the innovation coming from? Where is the 
spirit of rebellion coming from? It's coming from that space where you're breaking the rules, you're coloring outside of the lines, you're, you're not at your desk, you know, you're connecting with nature, you have that space. And so that's what so, so many of us desperately need is space to connect with our bodies, to hear our voice, to honor the vision that we have for our lives, independent of what other people are telling us it should be. Before we wrap up, one of the topics I want to talk about is, you know, you said kicking the good girl to the curb. And in the same way that work and, you know, our stress levels are really high, you also talk about burnout being caused by endless list of expectations and fitting into systems that don't serve us. And, you know, you mentioned this at the very beginning of the conversation, really equating worth with productivity and and rest is something we have to earn and something we have to it's a reward. Okay, if I make it through XYZ, I'm allowed to do this. So what is it that is actually when we are, you know, in our quote unquote, good girl, or when we are working for others and not taking that time for ourselves? The question of like, who suffers is, is obviously us. But you said something that was like, the good girl does more harm than the wild woman ever could. And I'd really like to dive into that before wrapping up what you meant with that. The good girl does more harm than the wild woman ever could really was, it's something that came to me again, not at my desk, but on my way to get my son from school, walking through one of the largest parks here in Barcelona. And just me realizing like, wow, we really associate the wild woman with destruction and havoc and causing harm. But some things need to be destroyed. Some things need to be knocked down. And is all destruction really that bad? And this goes back to the beginning of our conversation. You know, the good girl is the one who upholds systems of oppression because she's always looking to do the right thing, to stay in line, to uphold the status quo, to not question, to get the pat on the head. Who is that serving? Definitely not people like me. So... The wild woman, you know, when we work with the wild in general, we invite this element of destruction, but with a purpose of questioning, of doing things differently and challenging the way things have always been done. And that is interesting. In a person's life, people who menstruate, it typically corresponds with the years of perimenopause. And they say it's because as estrogen is going down, the hormonal veil is being lifted because estrogen really does help us to be everything for everyone and be the nurturer and all the things that we typically associate with that kind of female archetype, so to speak. And when estrogen starts going down, a lot of people realize, whoa, who am I in all of this? What do I want for myself? What, what's actually worth speaking up about? And for me, it happened early. But I think that's, that's something that, you know, you don't have to wait until your 40s. You don't have to wait until your 50s to speak up. And it can be, you know, if you look at your spheres of influence, your close friends and family, your followers on social media. What would happen if you just decided to 
show up and talk about something that's been on your heart, but that you think might ruffle some feathers. Like we need feathers to be ruffled. (laughs) The last thing we need is more perfect people. So that is what I meant by that. I love that. The last thing we need is more perfect people. So to wrap things up, I always like to ask five questions. And the first one is, what book changed your life or shifted your mindset? I love the book. It was written and gathered because it's actually a collection of essays and poems by Adrienne Marie Brown called Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good. And one of the reasons why this shifted my mindset is because it has so many authors who are typically underrepresented, be them people of color, genderqueer, lesbian. It's really, it just gives you a lot of insight into all of the voices that you might be missing and also challenges the ways that you are experiencing pleasure and issues of social justice and how the two Uh, actually have a lot to do with one another. So highly recommend Pleasure Activism. Amazing. And following up from that, what are your sources of strength and or inspiration? Well, first and foremost, Mother Nature, because being connected to her cycles and her wisdom, especially now when there are so many things that don't make sense, being able to go outside. And this is something I really missed when we were on lockdown for two months in Spain and we couldn't just go for a walk, you know, but when I go through the park and I see everything changing and the cycles of life and death and regeneration, and I realize that, you know, especially in my business as well, there are phases where I'm going to be in full bloom. There are phases when I'm going to need to, to rest and recover. There are phases when things will have to fall away. And that is not exceptional. That is actually the way that it's supposed to be. Also, the mentors that I've worked with and groups of people that I've been honored to to be a part of in these last several years who have really honored me for who I am and the work that I'm trying to do. And I would say they're like my cheerleaders and my son. (laughs) He really helps me to see the world through different eyes and to let go of things that I kind of have always done, but on autopilot. And he makes me question, well, why is it that I do that or say that or think that? And he does not want to be like mama. He doesn't let me get away with anything. He's always questioning. And that's one of the things that I love about him. And that makes me stronger because I think that strength comes from being willing to see your flaws as well. So the third one is what is your secret to success? My secret to success is to know that you are already successful and work from that place. So in other words, success is not this destination that we constantly have to strive for. Success is something that we choose for ourselves and we can choose for ourselves on any given day, because how many times have we thought, once I have this, I'll be successful. Then we get that thing and we still feel like we're a loser. There's, you know, success is something that's so dependent on how we ourselves define it and envision it. You have to question, why are you 
constantly withholding it from yourself? Is it because you haven't made enough money? Is it because you don't have a certain status? Is it because you haven't made the impact? You know, and when you come from that place of, I have, you know, well, I'm not influencing anyone. Well, then usually we dial down our influence. <laughs> we don't go out there and say like, I'm not influencing anyone. And so I'm going to shout even louder. You know, you're just like, well, I'm not doing anything. Like, what, what does it matter? And so then we just retreat. So I think one of the most powerful things you can do is I'm already successful. I'm just, I'm working on building my success even more. But it's not something that I have to constantly hold over myself because I already have it. Kind of tying into that, what is your definition of success? My definition of success is feeling safe in your life and the legacy that you're creating, feeling secure in that. Really nice. And lastly, what advice would you have liked to hear when you started to live life a little differently? It will all be okay. (laughs) It's not going to make sense at first, but keep going. You are being divinely guided. You are fully funded. Just keep going. What a beautiful note to end on. If people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? So on Instagram, I'm at Coach Jolinda. My website is jolindajohnson.com. And I also have a Facebook group called the Rebel Health Collective. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. If this is your first time listening to the Modern Day Rebels podcast, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. It's free and means you will receive new episodes right as they come out. Please do share episodes you love and that inspire you with your friends, family, and colleagues because the only way to tackle taboos is to talk more about the things we're not supposed to talk about. If you want to take a deeper dive into the topics we explore and talk about in this podcast, you can subscribe to my bi-weekly newsletter. The link is in the show notes. I will see you all in 2021 on January 7th, and I hope you have an absolutely amazing holiday season and a wonderful new year.